We are in, in the Jude, Epistle of Jude. And so, as a reminder, as a reminder, um, his name was Judas, because Jude means, is the same name as Judas. Jude was, was a truncation of a name by the English writers, but in Greek it's absolutely Judas. In the Hebrew it's Judah. And there's several references to this. And we also know that Jude was married, and he was an itinerant preacher. He would go around, and, and because we, we, we have, Paul says that, that uh, he traveled with his wife, and so we know that Jude was married, and he, would, he was uh, a, an itinerant preacher. It seems that he was not an apostle, but certainly a prophet. For someone to have been called an apostle in the scriptures, he had to have seen the risen Savior. Uh, Paul saw the risen Savior uh, after Jesus had already been resurrected. Uh, uh, Jesus appeared to him, but you had to have been had to have seen the risen Savior. Jude apparently did not see, most likely did not see the risen Savior, but he was a, a prophet, and he's writing this book. And remember what he wanted to do. His initial intent was to write to them about sal- salvation. But he got waylaid from that and diverted from that because he had to give them a particular message. So let's start reading it at verse 1, and then we'll, we'll pick it up from there. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation... I felt it necessary to write to you, appealing to you that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you that though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode. He He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality, and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So we covered verses 1 through 3 last time, and and, uh, uh, so we're going to pick it up uh, looking at this in verse 4, but what we want to remember is what he's displaying to them is God will judge sin. God will judge sin. This is very much in the New Testament, very much after Jesus has risen from the dead, after Jesus has gone up into into heaven. So if you think things are different now, they're no different now. God will judge sin. That is going to happen. And in verse 4 he says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. These were presumably the beginnings of the Gnostics, these people that, that, uh, um, that say that all flesh is bad, only the spirit is good, flesh can, can never be good. And, and what, what they do is, is uh, uh, they, they also say that 
It's not so much what you do in the flesh. It really doesn't matter. It's, it's more what you do in the spirit. And these people actually viewed themselves as not outsiders and not as enemies, but as the intelligentsia, as the learned ones, as the intellectuals, as the enlightened ones, as the superior ones. And Jude here is absolutely calling them out. And Jude obviously was not woke because he spoke of these people exactly like he felt about them. He said about them exactly what he felt. And, and uh, this is what he's teaching us. So he says in verse 4, certain people have crept in unnoticed. Uh, some some, some uh, uh, translations say that they have wormed themselves in. They have wormed themselves in. They have crept in. Remember, in, in 2 Peter, we were warned. First uh, and Second Peter, they're, they're, they're teaching them uh, that false prophets are coming. Jude quotes from Second Peter 13 times. He quotes from Second Peter. So this is obviously to the same group of people. But now he says they're already in. They're already among us. So Peter warned them. Jude is saying they're already here. And so he says you, you need to, to think about taking action. It's like if you had a, if you had a, a burrow, a, a, a family of snakes living in a hill behind your house you'd kind of have a little bit of concern. You know, you'd tell your kids, just stay away from there. There's some snakes around there. But you wouldn't worry tremendously about it because they're out in the back in some hill behind your house. But if those snakes had somehow moved into your house and lived in the walls of your house, you wouldn't sleep until you you called an exterminator and had these things dealt with. Once they're in, it's a whole different story. It's game on. I mean, things have to happen. And he says they have wormed themselves in. They have crept in among us. And he said, here's what they're doing. He says that they, they have been those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Um, we have talked about the elect before. We have talked about the elect. The Bible speaks of it in two ways, depending on the translation you have. It speaks about the elect, and it speaks about the chosen. All over, it speaks about the elect and the chosen. And so you see this sort of thing. You see others that have been marked out for condemnation. Now, this may not match up with your theology. I don't know what to do about that. I don't know what to do about that. It just says that these people have, have been marked out from long ago for condemnation. Now, I don't know if that means from last year they've been marked out for condemnation because, because they ever since they wormed themselves in in this way, or if it means from before eternity they were marked out for condemnation. But it says that they've been marked out for condemnation. So, in other words, what's due to come upon them is quite severe. They are ungodly persons. <clears throat> so, these are, these are not believers. These are unbelievers. These are unbelievers. They are ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. They turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Paul dealt with these people all the time. People that took the grace of God and turned it into license to do whatever they wanted to do, saying, well, God's going to forgive you anyway. Paul said, you cannot live like that. You absolutely cannot live like that. And that's what he's saying. And and here he says, they've turned the grace of our God 
the forgiveness of God into licentiousness because what the early Gnostics were doing is they said, you can do whatever you want. The grace of God is there. In fact, the worse you do, the better in this, that you're going to see more grace of God abound. It wasn't that they were turning the grace of God into just any old thing. They were turning the grace of God into licentiousness, into a sexual practice of sin. They were practicing in sexual sin and propagating sexual sin. And, and uh, uh, based on the grace of God, they were doing this and saying, there's really nothing wrong with this. So when people start justifying sin, when they start justifying sin, avoid those people. There is no justification for sin. Avoid those people. Sometimes people will say, well, you know, it's really not that bad. If, if, uh, if they're two consenting adults, it's really not that bad. No, it's really that bad because Jesus has a specific way. You read in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus has a specific way. When people start justifying sin, it is a problem. I urge you to avoid those people. It is not good company for you. Because they turn the grace of our God into licentiousness. They turn the goodness of God and, and His forgiveness, and they use that to propagate and to practice sin, and in this case, particularly sexual sin. That's what he said. Licentiousness is not just any old sin. This is a sexual sin. And this is what he's talking about, and it is quite clear. And this happens in the church today. It happens in the church today. There are people... And, and uh, um, young people will tell me sometimes there are certain churches that it's known. You, you go to the young singles class, and it's, it's, it's just uh, one big game of, of uh, one person with another and people seeking out relationships, physical relationships. And this is, they're turning the grace of God into licentiousness. And what this portion is going to teach us is God judges sin. There is no way around it. And if you are a believer walking in this, God will judge your sin, and your life will be difficult as a result. You cannot walk closely with God and continue in a practice of sin. And then he goes on. He says, not only do they turn the grace of God into licentiousness, he says, they deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ because they would teach that all flesh is bad, only the spirit is good, so Jesus could not have lived in the flesh. This was some ghostly appearance that we had seen of Jesus. So they were denying the very, the, the very coming of our Lord Jesus. They were denying the Lord Jesus Christ. I get people write to me all the time. They want to convince me of something different. They feel that I'm a person of influence. So they write to me all the time. They, they, they have listened to uh, uh, certain people on the internet, certain atheists on the internet, certain former pastors on the internet who have gone awry and, and come with all of these philosophies, and they've listened to them on the internet, so now it is their personal mission to contact Jim Tour and make sure that I know about this. Like, I haven't heard this before. Like, oh, you're the first person to tell me this. I didn't know this. I'm, I'm really glad you're here to tell me all about this. And so they think they really need to tell me all about this. And they all have the same idea, constantly denying the Lord Jesus Christ, that God came in the flesh, constantly denying his deity, and constantly denying his physical resurrection from the dead. 
This is common. This is commonplace, and there are people out there who have made that their purpose. And there are books that are written to confuse Christians by, and, and have people read it, and then they will take these practices and go and try to confuse Christians. I've seen this over and over again, and it started right here. This is what it's talking about. And uh, uh, because we have what's called now these New Age atheists that are going around and teaching these sorts of things, it's just more of the same. It's more of what we see in Jude. Do not let these things disrupt you. From right here in Jude, he's warning that these things are there. These practices are there. These people are doing these sorts of things. So I forewarn you, people will come to try to confuse you. The truth is clear, and, and uh, uh, the, uh, theologians have worked through these things for centuries upon centuries. They've worked through these things. For millennia, they've worked through these things. There are many good arguments that, that, stand, that stand these tests. Many good arguments. You may not know them, but there are all of these good arguments, and people will come against you. And he says they, they're denying our Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They're denying Him. And then he gives three examples. And this is further why we know that he's speaking to the same people that, that, uh, um, that, that um, Peter was writing to, these same Messianic Jews, these same Jews. This is the fifth of the Messianic epistles. Uh, uh, the, the, the fifth of the Messianic books where the writing is to Jewish believers in the diaspora. And the reason we know that is he, because he gives them three examples from the Old Testament scriptures. To Gentiles, these meant nothing. Nothing. This meant only something because these were Jews who had already studied the Old Testament. So if you look in verse 5, he says, Now I desire to remind you that though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. So he's going to give three examples. This is the first of the three. And he says, you already know this. You already know this because you're Jews. If you were Gentile, if they were Gentiles, they wouldn't know this. Gentiles didn't read the Old Testament. It was like, well, by this point, you know, this was in 68 AD. Uh, they had a copy of the Old Testament scriptures they were reading. They did not. People didn't have private copies of any of these. These, these books, uh, even the Old Testament, you had to go to the synagogue to get copies of these documents, and they weren't going to open it up just for any old Gentile walking in and saying, hey, I'm interested in this thing. These were big scrolls. They didn't know these things. But as Jews, they knew this thing. And so what he does is he starts talking to them about, about uh, uh, these different examples from the Old Testament. These are the same examples. This first example is he's talking about the people that came out of the land of Egypt, that God delivered them out of the land of Egypt, but then after that he let them die in the wilderness. They had seen his miracles, but he let them die in the wilderness. And these are the same things that... that uh, uh, caused a, a lot of, of concern for Paul. And the same thing that caused a lot of concern for the writer of the Hebrews. So if you look in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, in, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, Paul is writing to those in Corinth, and he is reminding them of some things, and he's teaching them about this, and, and uh, he says... He says in verse 5, he says, nevertheless, so he, he goes through and he really describes 
what's going on in, in, in 1 Corinthians because he's speaking to a bunch of Gentiles. He gives a lot of description before he writes this last portion. Whereas in Jude, he just gives the one verse because these, writer, these readers in Jude already knew the context. In 1 Corinthians, they didn't know the context. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he's telling them the whole story of this. And then he goes on in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples that they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So Paul uses this very same portion that God had delivered all of these people out of Egypt and then took these same people and destroyed them in the wilderness. God judges sin. These people were so blessed to have lived in a generation where they saw with their own eyes the deliverance from Egypt, where they saw the ten plagues of what happened to the Egyptians. And in the land of Goshen, where the Jews were living, not so much as a dog barked, it says. Nothing happened to them. They didn't have the plagues upon them. Whereas the Egyptians, just one plague after another, after another was hitting them. And then they crossed through the Red Sea. They saw the hand of God in this. They had seen all of this, Paul is reminding them. And he says, with most of them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. That means they were killed. God killed them in the wilderness. Now these things happen as examples for us, so that we should not crave evil things as they also crave. So now he's telling us what not to crave. He says, do not be idolaters as some of them were. Now, you may think, well, idolatry is just bowing before an idol. Maybe it is. But he extends it here. He says, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they stood up to play. And he is talking about, he's making reference to when they made a golden calf. They made a golden calf, and they were dancing around this thing. They were eating and dancing around this thing. So he says, don't fall into idolatry, which was a big problem for, the, for those in Corinth. This was not a big problem for the Messianic Jews. Idolatry had just, just for all practical purposes died. It was over in Israel after the first diaspora. After the, the, they went to Babylon, they knew that idolatry really got them in trouble. It was idolatry. It was for not giving the land a rest. And it was for not taking care of the poor. This is why they went into Babylon. They never fell into idolatry again. So you say, well, in Israel they had idols. Yeah, they did. Lots of them. Prior to the deportation to Babylon. After that, when they came back, they didn't. But the Gentiles here were still messing around with idolatry. Then he says in verse 8, Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us... Do not, let it, do not act immorally as some of them did. Look, I am not judging anybody. I've got lots of sin in my own life. But what I am saying is, do not try to justify immorality. 
do not lower the standards of the gospel to the human behavior of people around you. Do not do that. Because the gospels are clear. We are not to be walking immorally. And God wiped out 23,000 people in one day. And Paul is using that as an example for us. Then he says, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. They tried the Lord. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe him in his promises. And over and over again, he was reminding them that he would care for them, that he would take care of them. <clears throat> and they didn't trust that they would, he would take care of them. And so they were destroyed by serpents. <clears throat> Verse 10. <clears throat> nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Isn't that interesting? Grumbling, this murmuring, constantly murmuring, oh, this is not good, the whole world's against me, oh, everything's bad in life, everything's so terrible. You know, Paul warns us. He says, don't grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You bring destruction. We bring destruction upon our lives by grumbling all the time. How about looking around us and saying, Lord, thank you for all you've given me. Thank you for all you've provided. I could say, well, you know, they stick us in this gymnasium. You know, they've done all this remodeling and, you know, we're still stuck in this gymnasium. Well, look, I'm thankful for that light right there. I'm thankful for that light. I'm thankful for this microphone. I'm thankful for all the different things that I have. I'm thankful that you guys have chairs to sit in and I have a chair to sit in because I don't like sitting on the ground. I'm thankful for all of this. And, and uh, I'm thankful that we're in an air-conditioned room right now. We have plenty to be thankful for. You can look around you in your home and I guarantee you every degree in which you look, in 360 degrees, you will see something that you can thank God for. Everything. Every, and then look up. Look in every, every direction vertically. And, and uh, you, will ha- you will find something that you can thank God for. He says, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. He says, now these things happened to them as example, as an example. They were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the age have come. They were written for our instruction. The writer of the book of Hebrews uses the same analogy. Here in the book of Hebrews, they're writing to Jews, so it doesn't need that much of a background for the, in the book of Hebrews as it was, as was needed in, in, in uh, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> but if you look in, in, uh, um, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, while it is said today, <clears throat> if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient, so that we see that they are not able to enter his rest, enter because of unbelief? And let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. Therefore let us fear, while a promise remains of entering his rest, Any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. 
We can have the wonderful word of God preached to us. We can even receive that word. But if we walk in unbelief, it says because they, it was not united by faith, it did not profit them. If we walk in disobedience, if we walk in disobedience to God, I guarantee you the peace of God that you have in your life will begin to be lifted from you. If you have authority over others, if you are a mother or a father, you have authority, you, you have authority over others. Distractions and unrest will come into the lives of those under you. That is just natural uh, chain of authority. You expose your children due to your grumbling. You will expose your children to having unpleasant lives due to your grumbling. This is what happens. Husbands, when you, when you do this, when you're grumbling all the time, you open your family up to spiritual attack. He says, don't do this type of thing. We have these examples that have gone before us. This is what he's talking about. He looks specifically at these examples. So let's, let's turn to the actual case study in the book of Numbers. Let's look to actually these people that were sent into the land to spy it out. And let's start reading in the book of Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, reading from verse 1. Numbers 13 verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send out for yourself men so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the sons of Israel. And so then what he does is he goes and starts naming each one of these men. So one man, a leader of each tribe, and they were normally right around 40 years old. They were middle-aged men so that they were mature in, 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 in who they were, and they were strong enough to do what was needed, and they were going to go and scope out the land for 40 days. And in verse 17, it says, of Numbers chapter 13, verse 17, when Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak whether they are few or many. How is the land in which they, are, they live? Is it good or bad? And how are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps or with fortifications? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make every effort then to go to, to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was at the time of the first ripe grapes. So Moses charged them with going and scoping out the land and investigating it. You know, it's interesting. God is sending them into this land. God is telling them to go into this land. Does Moses really need to scope it out? Why don't you just go in blindly? There is nothing wrong with planning. Even though God has directed you to go someplace, maybe he's directed you to <clears throat> go to graduate school somewhere or go to college somewhere. Nothing wrong in checking this thing out and going and checking out what's the lay of the land here. What are things going on? I mean, this is precisely the land. We will never have as much assurance as Moses had that this was the land that he was supposed to go to. And still he was going in and scoping it out. Nothing wrong with that. That was not a lack of faith. He wanted to know. He wanted to know because they're going to be having to fight battles there. They're going to have to know the lay of the land. These guys were probably going to come back and have to <clears throat> sketch out for them charts. Or, Here's where the rivers are. 
here's where the, 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 the hills are and the valleys are, so that they could, they could get a lay of the land and get an understanding of it. Even, even though we're walking with God, there's a lot of things that we have to prepare in life, a lot of things that we have to do. You may be called as a missionary to a particular country. You still have to do a lot of legwork to plan this thing out, even though God has called you. Nothing wrong with that. And what we're going to see is we're going to see that in this passage, which we'll pick up next time, we're going to look exactly through this passage that Jude is reminding these Jewish believers of and warning them about. And the whole warning is this. God will judge sin. God will judge sin. There is going to be a judgment for sin. And he's going to warn them, be careful. Because these people were given every opportunity, given so much, but God will judge sin. And there's lots of people in our generation who are trying to justify as good things that we know are wrong. Things that we know are wrong, we know from the scriptures they are wrong, and they are justifying and saying they are good. And if you do not say that they are good, they will in some way insinuate that you're somebody, you're you're a troublemaker of some type. But the Bible tells us very clearly, if you want to have peace in your life, you obey the word of God. You want to have peace in your life, you obey the word of God. Remember, these Gnostics were the intellectuals. These were the smart ones, they felt. These were the ones who were more advanced. These were the ones who were trying to bring teachings into these churches. And Jude is warning them about him because he says, fundamentally, they're denying our only master and savior our only master and savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know the Lord, please give me a chance to share with you. I will share with you today. We will sit at lunch today and I will share with you. This is my my greatest joy is to sit with unbelievers at lunch and share the gospel with them. Give me that opportunity. If you are listening online, I ask you, give me the opportunity to share with you. Write to me, send me an email to tour at drjamestour.org. And I will, I will uh, write back and we will set up a Zoom appointment. Let, give me that opportunity to share with you. Now, this is an invitation only to those who do not already believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, but I can't give you an hour by Zoom. I just cannot because I would have no more hours left in the day. So please let me reserve these times for those who do not know the Lord. Use it as a time to get people into the kingdom of God. But if you're here for lunch today and you know the Lord and you want to have lunch with me, that's fine. Or for those of you online, you come here for Sunday lunch and and, uh, we'll get together. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your mercies, for your grace. In every way, you have been gracious to us. Lord, I pray for these young people that they would walk in a way that is not immoral. They would walk in a way where they're not complaining. Father, teach us your ways. Even though there's people among us in this generation who may be teaching otherwise, Father, teach us your ways and let us walk in them. Lord, you have shared with us the things that will bring peace in our life. And I pray your peace upon these young people, your peace upon them, your blessing, your grace upon them, the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, bless them, I pray. And Lord, your grace be with us for the glory of Jesus. Lord, your name be glorified, I pray. 
And Father, I pray that you would save another soul today. Oh Lord, how I long to see souls saved. Bring another to the feet of Jesus, I pray. And I lift this up to you for the glory of Jesus. Amen.